Awesome. Well, as you head back to your seats, I just want to take a second before we get into to tonight's message, and I just want to share two things with you. Number one is on your way in, you should have seen a little table here with some tags hanging. Every year we get the opportunity to partner with the Department of Social Services, and we get to give back to the community and our church partners together. And, we, and so there's tags and instructions on the way out. And so what we would like to do is we'd really like to, to show them how much we, we want to support them and be a part of, of what they're doing. So on your way out, you'll see the table right there. And then secondly, I just wanted to take a chance to introduce myself. I'm Derek. I'm the student pastor here at Clover Hill. And I just want to let you know that it is. And <laughs> pastor Barry likes me, so that's good. Uh, it is an honor to be here to, to share with you guys tonight. You know, uh, I'm just, I just really love being on staff here, and, and uh, I just love being a part of a church that really cares about, about us, cares about um, us as a staff, cares about the church, cares about the community, and so it's awesome to be a part of that. And so we get to, I get the opportunity to speak to you guys tonight, to share with you guys tonight, and I just want y'all to know, like, how pumped I am to do this. Like, and you can ask Morgan. Morgan, it works here, and I've preached this message to her, like, 20 times, so if it's bad, Morgan didn't give me good enough feedback, but if it's good, Morgan is an expert at feedback for messages, so, uh, so thank you, Morgan. Can we celebrate Morgan? She's really good. So, <laughs> so. So, here's, so let me just start off and, and just kind of run a process from where this message began to where I want it to go tonight. And so a few weeks ago, Pastor Stan brought Eric and myself into the office. And it doesn't matter how much you love Pastor Stan. Like, like when he calls you into his office, like your heart stops a little bit because you're like, oh, man, what did I say in youth group? Uh, you know, and, but it was really awesome because he was like, you know, I just I want you guys to to lead first Wednesday this coming November, and um, and so it was a sigh of relief, but then a, a little increase in stress all in one in one uh, minute, so my emotions went, you know, all over the place, but um, but anyways, a few weeks ago after Pastor Stan asked me to to share uh, a message, I was, I, I come in here very often into the auditorium, and I'm, and I sit in this little spot in the balcony up there, and, and so I did that one morning, and I turned on my worship music, and I'm sure if you walk through this, it's probably, you're probably hearing some terrible noise. That's me singing in the balcony. If you ever hear it during the day, I'm a really great um, singer in my own mind. But in your mind, it probably sounds a lot less uh, good. So anyway, so I'm sitting in the balcony, and I'm asking God, I said, what can I preach that this church, that Clover Hill Church has, hasn't already heard? What can I say that they haven't heard a million times? God, what's your heart for First Wednesday, what do you desire to do in the heart of the people that are coming to First Wednesday? What can you say through me to the people that are coming to this room? And as I'm, as I'm up there in the balcony and I'm just, I'm just worshiping my heart out and, and there's a song that says, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all of this world, but give me Jesus. And I'm just sitting there and as I'm, as I'm sitting there, my the, the Lord puts this word on my heart, word passion. And, and, 
And so I'm, I'm, I'm continuing up there, and I'm crying, and I'm like a hot mess in this one little corner, and, and uh, I'm having like this spiritual experience while other, the camera's probably on me, and other people are looking at me like, yo, this guy's losing it. But I'm like having this moment, and God stirs in me something, and he says, he just says, passion, passion. We all know the word passion, but it's kind of one of those words that's, that's, that's very broad. It can be it can be associated with emotions, feelings, different, different things. So, so, I'm, so I'm leaning in a little bit more. And as I'm, as I'm going through passion, I'm trying to think of, all right, what am I passionate about besides my beautiful wife? What am I passionate about? And, 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 um, and it, it just brought me to a, uh, my relationship with home ownership. And some of you can relate to this, but when I first bought a home a few years ago, like, you know, confidence isn't something I lack always, all the time, and and so 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 I'm just I'm just sitting there. You know, my wife and I we're signing the dotted line. You know, like 50 million pages of 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 uh, loan closing documents. Like I just signed away like this kid that my wife is about to have, and like the next three. So you know, or six. Uh, Angie said that to me today. So you know, uh, so so like when I first signed these documents, I got the keys. And I'm, we're going home. We have all these plans. We're like, we're passionate about this. We're fired up. We're like, man, this house is going to be so good that they're going to want to do an HGTV special on us. Midlothian, Virginia, War Admiral Drive. I'm not telling y'all the actual address because I don't trust all y'all. But, um, but like War Admiral Drive, we're, we're, you know, it's going to be so good. My grass is going to be like a blanket of greenness just ready to, like, take a nap on. Like, you see the dogs in the – and I have all these passions about, about home ownership. And then, you know, and we, had, we got married and bought a house at the same time. So I had a lot of passions at that moment. But fast forward a few months – Maybe, maybe, <laughs> I didn't mean that the way y'all thought I meant it, but, uh, so fast forward a few months, maybe a year, right? And somehow, I didn't realize when I was filled with passion that all these projects take money and a lot of effort. And another thing is I realized that YouTube is a great resource, but it cannot make Derek an expert electrician in one hour, especially when you connect one wire and all the other lights on the other side of the house go off, which happened to me last week. So um, and so if you're an electrician, holler at me after church. We'll talk. So, but, you know, I had these passions, and, and as we developed into a routine of marriage, you know, we're still adjusting to living together, which if you know me on a personal level, it was probably easier for mercy. I mean, it was probably easier for me. Uh, to live with mercy than for mercy to live with me. So, you know, so, so we're still adjusting to the newlywed thing, you know, and, and, and I just realized that um, I, we kind of got into a routine of things, right? You kind of you develop into, you, you're busy, and plus I got to go to the gym because I'm newly married. I got to stay in shape, you know, I got to look good. And, you know, of course I want to stay in community, and so I need to have a small group to go to, and, you know, and, and so, I, so all these things, all this busyness just starts to move in, and somehow the passion goes from HGTV-like passion to, yo, we'll get that this weekend. 
We'll, we'll get that this weekend, right? So, uh, so, so maybe you can relate to that, or maybe you can't, but I know one thing that most of us can relate, relate to is the passion that comes with a new relationship. And so, you know, I just remember the times, and I'm sure you remember the times, maybe you were, you were, you were first married or first dating, and you're holding the door open for them. Come here, sweetie, let me get that for you. You look so beautiful tonight, right? And then the girls, you're like talking to your girlfriends. Oh, he's so amazing. He wrote me roses are red, violets are blue. You know, all these things, like all these different passions that you have when you when you first start dating. You're, you're all excited. You know, you even drop them off and let them go to the house before you decide to pass gas, you know. And, and, and <laughs> y'all all done. Everybody that laugh has done it. Um, and, and so, you know, you have all these passions and and. and and you're, you have all this excitement for this relationship, right? You know, we're going to be the best married couple. We're going to be giving marriage advice right out the gate. And then, and then you fast forward a few months and, and, and these relationships, and you're like not holding the door for her open. You're not holding the door open for her anymore. You know, you're just like, you're just there. And, and instead of staying up till 2 o'clock in the morning talking on the phone, you're sending her, all right, good night. Love you. See you later. XOXO with a, maybe an emoji if you're still at that passion level, you know. But you're no, longer, uh, you're no longer waiting until they leave the car to pass gas. You're like, some of y'all are like rolling up the windows, locking them and turning on the heat. And like, you know, see how bad you can, you can like suffocate them in there. But, but anyways, you develop that routine in your relationship. And you're no longer as passionate some of y'all's looks at that last thing where we're like priceless. Uh, so, so you're just sitting there and you're passionate about one another. And as you develop a routine in your relationship, suddenly you go from super passionate all the time to showing a little less effort, a little less emotion, a little less excitement, a little, a little less energy. So here's the thing. It's very common for us to lose passion for something as we become more familiar with it. In relationships, keeping excitement and passion for things is difficult. And while you still may love the person, as you develop in a routine, oftentimes what happens is you lose the extra step that you used to take for them. As you become more familiar with them, you lose a little emotion, a little less excitement. You're a little, you'll go through less effort to make you're, you're, you're the significant other or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, whatever, feels special. See, not only does this happen in our relationship with others, but oftentimes it happens in our relationship with God also. When we're first saved, we're, I just remember being first saved and how excited I was. And I, it was like I would see Jesus in everything. I would look at the clouds. Oh, look at that cross in the clouds. I see it, Lord. I see it. It's just you and me. Uh, you would see God in your cappuccinos, like, oh, I saw the spirit of the Lord and moved in Starbucks, and my cappuccino turned into a cross. Or, or you would see God in everything. I remember seeing God in the door frame that was a, you know how door frames have a cross there. I remember somehow spiritualizing that. Like, I wanted to answer all the questions. Like, if so much, like I had this passion. I had this excitement for Jesus when I first got saved. And I'm sure that, that when I was first saved, I was that annoying uh, Christian that was like, uh, that was just, you know, the, all the people that have been in church for a long time. Look at that baby Christian over there. He's just annoying me because he's passionately going after God. You ever, like, I've said that now because I'm 
older. Like I've said that about people. I was like, you know, almost, oh, that'll fade. But, but here's, the, here's the thing. As excited as I was when I first found Jesus, there was a point where I developed into a routine. And I put a little less time in my relationship with God. I put a little less effort in my relationship with God. I put a little less passion in my relationship with God. And as the routine developed, I moved from participator in the worship experience to, to, to spectator. I, used from I moved from complimentary of the church to critical of the church. For me, Jesus wasn't the central thing when I came to church any longer. It was about sing, coming to church, singing a song, hearing a good message, and then I'm going to head about my business. It was a task. It was a routine. Here's some good news. We all do that. Not only if you're feeling like, man, that's, that's how maybe I was. It's not just something that affects you. It's not just something that affects me. It affects every single person in this room that's ever started a relationship with God. The fading of, of passion from a routine relationship with God is, is something that's common. It's timeless. We see it all throughout Scripture. One of the most popular examples is the example of King David. Now, I don't like to read a lot of Scripture, so I'm going to uh, I mean, that didn't sound good. I like to read <laughs> I don't like to read a lot of Scripture all at once, like when, some, when people are there, because I teach the teenagers, and they'll fall asleep in, in the blink of an eye sometimes. So I, I, I like to summarize. So I'm going to give you a synopsis. Of, of the example of King David, okay? You ready? Some of us may know this story. Some of us may not. I'm going to read it because it's, because it's right here. David is the king, okay? One night he sees Bathsheba bathing, okay? He sends for her. He sleeps with her. He gets her pregnant. He tries to bring her husband home to sleep with her to cover up the fact that she is pregnant. The husband comes home, but he's real, really loyal to his men, so he doesn't sleep with her. So David sends him back with a note that says, put him in the front line so that he gets killed. They listen. Bathsheba's husband dies, and David marries her. It sounds like an episode of This Is Us. Like a lot of emotions and a lot of stress all in one chapter there. Some of y'all This Is Us fans are hating on me now, and I'm sorry. I watch it too. It's really emotional, though. Let's, let's be real. So here's, here's what I want to read. Here's, here's the important part of this story. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, let me read it to you. I think they have it on the screens. Um, it says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. Here's what happened. David was supposed to be out at war with his men. David was no stranger to the routine of victory. He would win a lot of victories. In fact, people wanted, uh, Saul wanted to kill him because he was so successful, right? So David was, David was like, oh, you know, this is, this is, you know, this is, this is something. He had gotten into a routine. He was comfortable with victory. And so he decided that this time he wasn't going to go out to battle with his people. Have you ever been in, this is funny because I feel like people do this to me sometimes. But it's like, have you ever been in a, in a, you, you're like sharing somebody. You're about to go prepare for this battle. And then they give you this vote of confidence that's really not a vote of confidence. It's really just like them trying to get out of the situation. They were like, oh, you got this. Oh, you got this? I know you got this. You got it, champ. 
So that's what I'm imagining David's like in this moment. I'm imagining David's, you know, he's, he's familiar with victory. He's familiar with, with, with battle, you know, with winning battles. And he's like, you know, go get them, guys. You got this. Champs, you, let's go. This, you got this. So if you ever say you got this to me, I'm offended, okay, just so you know. But, but so David's there, and he's saying, you got this. And the fact was they did have it. But they didn't matter in this situation. The routine that David was in is what mattered in this situation. He got distracted. He got busy with other things, and his relationship with God paid the price. Well, here's where it shifts. The story of David continues, and after David messed up, now I'm going to read a lot more scripture, so you're welcome. So the story continues, and after David messed up, Nathan, a prophet, came and rebuked David. And this is what he said to him. For those of you who may not know what a rebuke is, a rebuke is like, you did this terribly. So that it's like a correction, but, but the prophet brought it to him. He says, there were, no, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew, and it grew up with him and with his children, it used to eat of the morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arm, and it was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for him for the guests who had come to him. But he took the man's poor lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. That's not a good you are the man. That's a you are the man in this story. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hands of Saul, and I gave to you... I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave the house of Israel and Judah, et cetera, et cetera. But here's the most important part of this story. Nathan comes, he rebukes David. But here's what we can learn the most tonight. David was in a routine. He messed up. Nathan comes. Nathan rebukes it. If anybody could have stood their ground here, it was the king. I'm the king. Get out of my face. I'm in charge of this. You're not. But... David's, David didn't respond in that way. In Psalm 51, 10 through 12, David says, this is David's response to Nathan's rebuke. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold within me a willing spirit, a, a willing spirit. David could have done two things. He could have justified his actions and kicked out Nathan. But no, he responded in passion. He responded in passionate prayer and a passionate worship to God. He cried out and worshiped God with passion after he had messed up. And here's the thing. While our situation may not look like David's, some of us tonight, our spiritual situation, our spiritual routine may look a lot like David's. Let me ask you this question. What's blocking your passion? What's blocking your passion for Jesus? What's blocking your passion? What is, what is distracting you from coming into a, Sunday, a Wednesday night service and going after God like everything depended on it? 
What's blocking your passion? What is keeping you from a passionate pursuit of Jesus? Here's what I want to do tonight. I don't want to make you feel guilty. I want to encourage you to cry out to Jesus so that you can break the mundane nature of of, of a spiritual relationship so that you can say, Jesus, I have developed this routine and I just want to go after you. Let me give you some encouraging scriptures here. God promises us that if we seek him with our whole heart, we will find him. We must pursue Jesus with passion, with our whole heart. In James 4, 8, He promises us that if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Are you guys, is this connecting with any of you guys tonight? Look, in Matthew 7, 7, Jesus tells us, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be open. This is is my point here. When we pursue Jesus with passion, we receive perspective. Can you come up here, Mason? I mean, Enrique, can you come on stage? I just want to, I want you guys to work with me for a little bit. I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a good illustration. If you're in the crowd, don't, don't do anything until I ask you to, okay? All right, so, stand right here, please, sir. So, imagine Enrique, imagine I ask, ask Mason here. Mason, won't you show Enrique how awesome he is? Right? Now, imagine that I tell you that Enrique was a war veteran, that he just recently saved 50 guys, that he's getting a purple medal, how would your response be? Now, if I told you that he, w- that he was willing to put his life in danger for everyone in this room, that Enrique did something that saved everyone in this room, how would we respond to Enrique? If Enrique saved your life, how would we respond? They really like you. Thank you. So here's why I did that. Here's why I did that. If we look at the importance of what he had done, we knew how much celebration he deserved. If I just said Enrique is a teenager and youth, nobody cares. But if I say he did this, <laughs> I mean, they do care, but, you know, not in that way. But if I say he did this, this, and this, then it changed, right? Look, when we, res- when we pursue Jesus with passion, we receive perspective. When we make God big, the things of this world grow strangely dim, right? When we make God big, then suddenly our passions, are, our passions change. As we make God big, then it's no longer about fear but faith. It's no, longer about, it's no longer about complaining. It's about complimenting. It's no longer spectator but participator. When we make much of God, what it does is it aligns our heart. It aligns our heart. Check this. This is the best part of this message. I know they've all been good, but this is the best part. I'm just just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, I thought that would be a little good. Look, check this out. Check this. This is this is my favorite part. This is my favorite part. In Acts 13:22, describes David as a man. After God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. If we looked at David for the mistake that he made, we would think otherwise. But if we look all throughout Psalms and we see how even when he messed up, even when he got sidetracked, even when he, was, even when he got into a routine that was unhealthy, 
he always returned to passion. He always returned to passionately pursue Jesus or pursue God. I don't think you know who Jesus was at that point. When we pursue Jesus with passion, we receive perspective. When we make much of him, other things seem small. But check this part. When we receive perspective, we create room for him to unleash his power in our lives and through our lives. I want to drive it, drive it home here. Look, God says that when we seek him with our whole heart, we will find him. The Bible tells us to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. What does that look like? If I said I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, what would that look like? Could I just sit here clapping? Or would I be jumping? Or would I be, would I be singing? What would I be doing? David recognized where he was, sought God. God changed him. And he made an impact. Can I give you some cool examples real quick? Look, David messed up. God aligned his heart, and he passionately pursued him. And God used David to be one of the greatest kings ever. In the upper room, in the upper room, Peter, who had recently denied Jesus, passionately pursued him. God's spirit fell upon him, and he spoke a message that saved over 3,000 people. Saul was encountered by, Saul was killing Christians, encountered God's presence, and became Paul, who's done more for the gospel than we can, than he could ever imagine. Look, at one point in my life, I was broken, hurt, depressed, addicted, in bondage, and then God convicted me. God came into my life. God realigned my heart, and now I stand here telling you that when you passionately pursue him, nothing can stand against you. That when you go after Jesus, nothing can stand in your way. Where are you tonight? Let's stand. Let's stand. Where are you tonight? How's this passionate response look? In a few moments, what we're going to do is we're going to align our hearts first by taking communion. We're going to take communion together because that's the ultimate sign of passion. But what does this passion look like for you? What does the next step look look like for you? Here's what we're going to do. After we take communion and after I close this in prayer, I want us to flood these altars. And the reason why I want us to flood these altars is because it, because it moves us out of our comfort zone. And I want you to go after Jesus. For each one of us, it looks different. The next step in your passion step may look different. Maybe you never raised your hands. Tonight, maybe you want to just take that step. Maybe for you, it might be jumping, singing, dancing. Whatever it is, I don't care. Let's take the next step and let's passionately pursue Jesus. So we're going we're gonna to first, what we're going to do is we're going to align our hearts. So if you have... A communion cup, would you just take that out? If you don't have one, we have guys here that could get them for you. And let's just stay in this moment. Let's stay in this moment. Look, the ultimate sign or one of the greatest displays of passion for us was Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. And we see that. what it's done in my life, what it's done in your life, and the fact that God was willing to come to this earth and die so that we can be in a relationship with him, well, that's something that I could never understand. But I know that if I were, the, the least I could do is pursue him with passion. 
The least that I could do is give him my all. When he died for me, he gave me an eternity with, with himself. The least I can do is go after him with passion. 